Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Businesses are a collection of people people make the magic happen. And we all come to the table with our own social, political, and economic views. And so while AccuWeather has always been committed to an inclusive environment, I, I really just believe it's incumbent on us as leaders to build spaces for these conversations to occur. Welcome to the Business of Marketing, brought to you by Adweek and SAP. The Business of Marketing is where you get to hear from business leaders and innovators on how CMOs work collaboratively with their C-suite partners to drive business transformation. So, for anyone who is a CMO or aspiring to join the C-suite, this podcast will provide you with a deep dive into how to create cross-functional teams, establish clear internal communications, invest in customer centricity, drive technology innovation, and develop talent for the future. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show and have a wonderful day. Welcome to the Business of Marketing presented to you by SAP. I'm Toby Daniels and I'm the Chief Innovation Officer here at Adweek. On this week's episode, we have Steve Smith, who is the president of AccuWeather. Steve joined AccuWeather as a forecasting intern in the summer of 1997, and in 1999, began working full-time as a staff meteorologist. After holding a variety of positions that contributed to AccuWeather's research, development, and innovations, global weather data acquisition and management, as well as corporate IT, Smith was promoted to the chief information officer in 2007 followed by a promotion to Chief Digital Officer in 2013, and then he was named President of Digital Media in 2015, a position he held until taking his current role. As President, Steve is responsible for enterprise-wide product, technology, R&D, corporate development and strategy, the Digital Media Division, content, and the AccuWeather Network. During our conversation, we talked about how R&D and marketing can work hand in hand, using marketing to directly drive leads, 
B2B marketing, and data acquisition. We also discuss how AccuWeather's marketing has evolved with the rise of first-party data and the role that trust and transparency play in his leadership approach. Steve is the very definition of an industry veteran, and I am excited for you to learn about his incredible career at AccuWeather. In addition to my conversation with Steve and throughout season two of this podcast, we've been spotlighting a number of different startups who have participated in SAP.io's Foundries program. During the episode, you will hear from Alison Robinson, who is the founder and CEO of The Mum Project, a digital talent marketplace and community that connects professionally accomplished women with world-class companies. Learn how Alison is leveraging technology to transform her business without a tech background and how they plan on connecting their mums with over a billion dollars in economic opportunity over the next three years. As always, thank you for listening and please enjoy my conversation with Steve Smith. Steve, thanks for joining. Great to meet you. Yeah, likewise, Toby. Really happy to be here. Thank you for having me. So I want to focus our conversation today on a few important topics, including your role as a leader, the evolving relationship between R&D and marketing, and also the B2B trends that are most important to keep in mind as that industry moves forward. But first, let's start with some history to bring our listeners up to speed with your career. So you started out in the science of weather. First, I believe, interning at AccuWeather as a forecasting intern, and then earning a position as a full-time meteorologist. And then you ended up in your current role as AccuWeather's president with a more specific focus on the science of weather information. So what did that journey look like? What, what were some of the biggest influences or sources of inspiration that allowed you to progress or advance in your career from where you started out to where you are today? Yeah, look, look it's a fascinating uh, story to some extent. I started at the company in 1997, and then obviously 24 years later, still at the same company, but obviously have moved and progressed and watched this company change and reinvent itself over the years. Incredibly fortunate for that. And, and in some cases, really rare at this point in terms of, of others that have gone through similar career progressions. So look, I'd say going back to the beginning, the digital revolution was starting at the time. Broadband connectivity was being rolled out and giving my pathway was a passion for weather and technology. It was it really was the perfect storm, so to speak, uh, along the way. And then having that opportunity to pursue a passion in weather with a company, frankly, that I grew up listening to every day on local media, print, radio, television. It was a perfect match. But quickly after getting into the company and going through about five years within the operations team, the company recognized it had this opportunity to go direct to consumer via the web. And that changed the company in my career. So after those five years, I moved into IT and I led some of our major R&D projects at the time, made it very helpful that I was a subject matter expert, as well as some of those IT skills, quite dangerous to some extent. But then I started my career in management and I was our CIO for nearly 10 years. And CIO within AccuWeather was really synonymous for development of product in R&D. It is not necessarily your typical back office CIO role with print servers and an email and things like that. And ultimately after that moved into the business side, ran our consumer division, included sales, product, IT, and now 
title says on the door, president of the company. So it's been a tremendous ride. I'm not even close to being finished, but I'm internally grateful to uh, Dr. Joel Myers, who's founder and CEO of AccuWeather, as well as the countless other mentors within the company that I've been fortunate to work with along the way. Before we unpack all of that, I, I should point out, it's really important for us to hit on as many weather puns as we possibly can <laughs> over the course of this conversation. So I'm glad to see that we've, we've ticked the first box, which is fantastic. So what I'm interested, before we really get into the, the, your career and specifically before we start to talk about your role in, in your current executive leadership position, I'm interested to know like what drew you to weather in the first place. It's obviously something that you're very passionate about. The way in which we record and report on and even the relationship between like weather and consumers has changed so fundamentally over the years but I'm just more interested to know what drew you into this space in the first instance yeah I mean it's a great question and it's actually a question that we ask every incoming meteorologist that applies for a job when did you get interested in the weather it is not a subject that typically somebody says I didn't know what to do and I was at university and I just decided to go through all this math and physics to really help communicate to people why weather is going to be impactful to their life. And so for me, I was no different. I was a very young age. I was a child. I remember very specific events like when I was four, five, six, seven years old. And so this was something that I wanted to do at a very young age. I jokingly say it was genetically bred and in a lot of ways, incredibly fortunate now to... I, get paid to do a hobby to some extent, but really something that, as you said, passionate about. And, and that passion, by the way, is shared by hundreds of others within the organization too. And a lot of them coming at it, some of them always interested in weather, maybe not have followed the career path, but everyone has a story. And I think that's really what makes this type of business that we're in unique in that regard. You've had over two decades at AccuWeather, and professionally in numerous roles that have allowed you to fulfill this ambition and, and to connect to something that, as you say, you're, you're so passionate about. But what, what continues to fuel that passion? What keeps you uh, engaged and, and what motivates you to want to continue to re-engage as you think about the future? Yeah, look, I could, we could spend the whole podcast on that subject, but I'd point a couple things out. Obviously, technology has changed all our lives. You can pick a five-year mark, a 10-year mark, a 20-year mark. But the one thing technology hasn't conquered yet is weather prediction. There is still an element of ambiguity in there. While technology has helped us streamline all aspects of our lives, there is still this search for the perfect forecast because it is an imperfect science. And so I think for me, the passion of that goal remains out there. How do we get to the perfect forecast? Because it is such a valuable asset to our economy, to our personal lives. If we had reliable 100% of the time, X number of days out, perfect weather, the impact, the savings, the efficiency would be tremendous. So I think there's real passion to wanna to solve that. And I'd also say too, I think the other side of this is weather in a lot of ways is a national security issue for countries all over the world. It's something that, that military spent a lot of money on, not just in the US, but other countries. And so if we're going to solve that problem, the perfect forecast, which ultimately will save hundreds of thousands of lives every year, I believe it's going to come from a multinational company. And I believe it's going to come from a company without borders because weather doesn't have borders in that regard. And so that's at the top of the list for me personally, what drives me to say the work is not done here and there's so much more we can do. 
in weather and forecasting and predicting the weather is also just such a great metaphor when we think about business. To what extent has your expertise as a meteorologist helped you as a business leader? Yeah, we jokingly say within the company multiple times, we're in the business of predicting. And so that also means you need to predict and be ahead of what do you think future trends are going to look like? Does mm-hmm. prediction stop at the weather? Because weather ultimately, weather will have an impact. It'll have an impact on the economy. It'll have an impact on people's lives. It can have the ultimate impact between a life and death type situations and decisions. So it's really allowed us to really continue to branch into those areas and, and start to provide Again, useful information. I'm not going to call it commentary. Literally going to tell you that this is a life-threatening event. This is an event that you need to be serious of. When you think about us as a global company, stark differences between the type of data that we can communicate to somebody in a country that may not have the same infrastructure as the United States or, or portions of Western Europe, where all of a sudden you can walk in and really be the first piece of information that might save somebody's life that day. And that's a powerful statement. And I think that's a driver for what we do and how we think about this and why I think it's not just about numbers and icons at the end of the day. It's what you do with that data and how you make that data relevant and useful to people's lives all over the world. And again, we're uniquely positioned to be able to do that. And so it's exciting. You wake up every day, it's a passion point. And that passion point is shared by all of our team members. And knowing that on any given day, you have the ability to change somebody's life in a positive way, that's a monstrous capability that you have. You spent a lot of your career in executive leadership positions focused on digital media publishing, business development, IT, as you mentioned. I'd love for you to share with our audience some of the most impactful leadership lessons you've learned during that time. Sure. It starts with, I think, collaboration and trust um, and collaboration up and down and across the organization. My experience in operations, you know, that taught me the value of cross-functional relationships. That cliche of you win as a team is very real and very true. You're playing for each other. You have the ability to pull different leaders and disciplines into a room, ideate, solve a problem but you have to do it in a safe environment. And when you make that happen, it's like magic in a bottle. And so what it really comes down to is focusing on that environment, creating that trust and collaboration, and then the innovation, creativity, entrepreneurship, that all flowed from that. And and all of these things, these are hallmarks of what we do at AccuWeather and actually what we talk about every day as far as what are our hallmarks within the company. We talk a lot about collaboration and trust uh, on this podcast. It's come up numerous times with other C-suite leaders that we've interviewed. Which do you think comes first, trust or collaboration? I think trust creates collaboration. I, I lean into that camp. And, and, and obviously trust is earned and it's fleeting. And, and, and it's not just in relationships you have with your team members. It's relationships that you have with your user base and things like that. And I'm sure we'll talk about some of that as we get on here, but that's at the crux of what the privacy questions are about. And I think it's just for us, it, it's part of our culture is, uh, and a culture I want to drive specifically that start with trust. It will lead to better collaboration and it will lead to these really interesting ideation sessions where 
individuals feel not just safe, but they're being hurt. We could definitely come on to, to talk a lot more about privacy in a little bit. Uh, but before we do, let's talk about your current role as president. So you oversee the marketing team with a particular emphasis on the B2B side of the uh, uh, business. And I'm interested to hear your perspectives on the B2B weather data business. And, and in particular, like how has that business evolved over the years? And in particularly over the course of the last year, obviously given the global pandemic, where we are currently today and what that business looks like, particularly when you think about the future. Yeah, and that's, let's start with that, that last point. Let's talk about the pandemic specifically for B2B weather. It, logistics planning that's impacted by weather has always been a service that we've provided for decades. But these services really mattered over the past 16 months. And I'll give you two examples. The two major needs during this pandemic were testing sites and ultimately vaccine distribution locations. Many hospitals, medical facilities, public health agencies, they were all erecting makeshift structures. Some of them were tents, and that was how they were performing these functions. And as you can imagine, weather's gonna impact the safety and security of those essential workers and healthcare providers, as well as the patients that needed that care and treatment. And so we started a program. We, we were giving away for free weather warning services to any of these specific locations that wanted to sign up. And in the end, we had over 500 uh, hospitals, medical centers. We tried to get the 50 states. We had 42 states represented in that. But here's the more important part. In total, we issued over 23,000 separate warnings to these locations over the course of the last 12 months, which is really just a way to show that the service was needed and it was, but it was just an adaptation to the environment that we were all going through. But I would also say it didn't stop there. The other side of the, the B2B business was more of a, probably an internal conversation in that it really forced us to look at more turnkey style products, subscription style products for small to medium-sized businesses. That same type of logistics planning and risk planning, it's very much needed in those environments today. And as obviously everyone retrenched into new ways of commerce, new ways of trying to run a business, the demand was there. And we're, we have a way of bringing these services to market to actually get more users and help them you know, guide their business operation. Let's take a break from my conversation with Steve and hear from Alison Robinson, founder and CEO of The Mum Project and current participant in SAP.io's Spring Future of Work cohort and how they are listening to their customers and mums to continue to challenge themselves and deliver a better user experience. I'm Allison Robinson. I am founder and CEO of The Mom Project. I am part of the SAP.io Spring Future of Work cohort at The Mom Project. We are the leading platform for companies to connect and hire incredibly skilled and talented moms across the country. The genesis of creating The Mom Project was very much born out of my own experience as a new mom, contemplating what working motherhood would look like for me. I, like so many women, really struggled with what I wanted to do next. It was while I was having that internal monologue that I read that over 40% of American women leave the workforce after having children and realized what a massive opportunity we could unlock if we could help these incredible mothers find career success on their own terms. And so that was that was the humble beginnings of creating the business just over five and a half years ago. 
I'm a bit atypical in that I did not come from a pure play tech background, was not a product leader, was not an engineer, and really came with a commercial background, which I think has lent itself well to really understanding our consumers, our moms, our customers. We have the great honor of working with the biggest companies in the world, like Apple, Facebook, and Google, to companies who are just getting started. And so I've really leaned on our strong team of advisors, investors, and employees to really help guide how technology would ultimately scale the business. As we look ahead, we've got really ambitious growth goals. Um, in the next three years, we aim to connect our moms with over a billion dollars in economic opportunity through our non-for-profit rise. We will upskill over 10,000 women of color into technology roles, and we've got aggressive top-line financial goals. So at this point, I think it's continuing to execute well, staying really focused on moms who are the reason for every decision that we make. Thanks to Alison for providing us a peek into her business and the work that they've accomplished with SAP.io. You can learn more about The Mum Project by visiting themumproject.com. And if you are a B2B technology company and interested in joining the SAP.io Foundries program, check out the show notes for more information. Now, back to my conversation with Steve Smith, president of AccuWeather. The last 16 months has been complicated on many levels, to say the least. I'm particularly interested, though, in something you just referenced, which is the idea of getting information out, essential information out to the people who need it at a, in a timely manner. Given how noisy the last 16 months have been, how hard it, it has been to get information out to people. What were some of the ways that you were able to achieve that, just given the volume of information, how important it is, and sometimes how hard it is to actually ensure that information reaches, reaches its target audience, as I say, in a sort of a timely and efficient manner? Yeah, if there's one thing that I could say during that whole time, weather obviously still mattered. It mattered to all of us from our own personal daily lives, again, to these B2B examples. And so when we thought going back to those early days of the pandemic, needs changed, individual users needs changed. So think of it this way, instead of needing weather for our morning commutes or how to dress the kids to put them at the bus stop, it became when can I go outside and take that walk around the block? When can I do my exercise routine today? All the way to, I need to get the kids out of the house. They got to go do something, right? And so knowing these needs led us to actually develop and create a, a different set of products. And we create, like, for example, we created something called AccuWeather School, which then became AccuWeather Summer Camp. And it really was a collection of content geared towards teaching science through easy to use experiments that you could do at your home. And I'll say that the contributions um, to these ideas and products actually came from every corner of the company. And I think that's the side that won't necessarily be that's seen to the user. This wasn't something that was top-down led by management. This was actually a collaboration of team members that in all different departments and areas of the company saying, hey, I have this need today. I think there's a use case for this and I wanna join a team and here's how I wanna contribute. And so obviously we were all going through that, especially in the early days, that unknown time there. Um, but we were watching 
users ask us for information. And we were also living our own lives. We're all consumers at the end of the day. So our ability to really figure out, hey, this would be useful. And this is something that, as you said, fills a need in a gap that is timely and relevant for somebody right now, right here. And I think that period of time also proved, I think to us, to me, that we can be focused and efficient in bringing these things to market. And in this case, now we seemingly have potentially an end here coming towards us. And I'm excited about the future. I'm excited about what we can innovate. And I'm also excited about what we were able to build during those times that still will have a lot of relevancy going forward too. I don't think they're a, a one and done type situation. There are two macro level trends that I want to talk about uh, in a moment before we do. I, I want to ask you as a leader, how has the pandemic changed you, particularly in your specific role and particularly in terms of how you think about R&D and innovation? Yeah, a lot is the simple answer. For R&D and innovation, it really was opening up the influx of ideas. And it's not to say that we don't have the ability for anybody in the company to contribute ideas, but when you get into a process and the process dictates how things happen, you very quickly can figure out that you potentially aren't listening or accepting all of the opportunities that are in front of you. And in a lot of ways, the a business is nothing more than a collection of people, as we all know. And the genius is actually in unlocking what's in the heads and the ideas of these individuals. And so I think as we moved into the pandemic, the ability to step back and really listen to each other, super important because of what we were going through, being supportive and understanding of what our other team members were going through at the time. But it also allowed for a lot more open conversation of, hey, I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about that. And I think there was a lot more collaboration. In fact, we would talk, I would see the leadership team talk openly about, I'm collaborating better with my peers, I'm collaborating better lower than me. And I think it was because we were all put into a situation where that was the only way we were gonna be able to talk to each other. And it actually drove, in my opinion, ideation and innovation in R&D. Now the challenge is coming out of this, how do you not revert back? Like, how do you keep that happening? And I think some of those strategies are going to be, you know, what worked well. Everybody was on an equal platform in a Zoom or a Teams environment. There wasn't a strongest voice in the room. So recreating those type of ideation sessions again, I think has incredible value in terms of helping to keep pushing R&D forward and keep pushing new ideas forward. So let's zoom out a little bit. Again, I suppose, looking back over the past year to two, we've seen that a number of leading brands have shown a prominent focus on authenticity in their communications. They've also made substantial efforts to better empathize with their customers and consumers. They've added a more human element to their marketing strategies. We've also seen, separate to that, a pretty significant pivot to acquiring data more directly as opposed to relying on third-party sources. So how has AccuWeather's marketing evolved over the course of this year in relation to that, particularly in regards to the shift towards first-party data? And what are some of the ways that you're hoping to scale these efforts over the course of the next couple of years? 
Yeah, there's no doubt that we are telling stories about how weather will impact people so they can make better decisions. And that clearly exposes the human side of what it means to have what this weather information and what you're doing and how it impacts your life and those insights of why it matters and how it impacts you matter. And that's been resonating with brands. And as you said, it adds to the authenticity of that message, the brand positioning, and ultimately the trust with the user that what you're telling them is real and authentic and it matters. And I think the other thing that, that you brought up, which is obviously first party and what type of first party data, uh, speaking from an AccuWeather standpoint, we're not a product that users provide a lot of first party information to you provide your address, your credit card number, typically email addresses to access this type of information. But what we do offer is we offer a lot of products that aim to help users with different needs. So I'll give you an example. We have over 20 different weather-related indices. Some of these are health-related, pollen, allergies, how weather impacts migraine, arthritis. Others are what I would call more function-related. You know, we have a barbecue index. This is a good day to go cook or have a picnic. We have a dog walking index. But users of those products are clearly telling us how we are helping them, what their intent is. And they also had, and this clearly works well with marketers because all of a sudden we now have a, a user of our product that is telling us what they need and what they have. And marketers can now reach real audiences. And this is something that we have in all of our product suites. And it's actually an area where we're going to look to continue to innovate further on. How do we have take additional data? And in this case, mash it up with weather to come up with a product that helps not just segment users in the true marketing sense, but actually produces a useful product for a user who will continue to come back and, and use that on a daily basis. So let's talk about location data. Obviously, and I imagine it's hugely important. It's a hugely important kind of data point for you, but at the same time, it's also a challenging data point to use, particularly of late. You recently launched the AccuWeather app. It aims to tackle privacy issues around location, particularly in terms of ensuring consumers feel safe while they get the information they need. So to talk about these developments, talk about the role of trust and transparency, just building off of what you were just talking about. And also talk about like your position as a leader, particularly when it comes to data and privacy. There is no doubt data and pri data privacy and transparency are top priorities for us. Our users opt into our products by giving us location, you know, and location is extremely personal. Almost every user that uses our products want help also with a personal question. Will I get wet on the way to the bus stop? When do I leave to get home tonight so I don't get stuck in the snow? Will it rain on my wedding day? All of these questions from the routine to major life events, they all start with the trust of sharing location. And we have every intention of preserving that trust. It's, it's essentially non-negotiable. And then I think the other piece is be as transparent as possible. You mentioned that we launched a, a new version of our app in August of 2020. We chose with the launch and onboarding of multi-screen experience so that users would know exactly how we're using location data, what they can actually opt in and out of, opt into giving us location, opt out of certain advertising targeting, and what you would expect by opting in and out and what the benefits were. And that, you know, August of 2020, clearly before Apple's IDFA changes. And we took a similar approach with GDPR. We didn't build a solution just for the EU. We rolled that solution out to all of our users all over the globe and in the US. So, Clearly, yes, location will always be a necessary part of our product. 
it's a, it's the way that it's effective, but it's incumbent on us to be both protective of that and fanatical about the transparency and making sure that users understand what they're getting from. All right, let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about how disparate teams like R&D and marketing can come together to drive meaningful business transformation. Some of the biggest success stories that we've seen in our industry have transpired when consumer insight and technological foresight operate not as silos, but more hand in hand. So in your perspective, how can businesses ensure the disconnect between product-facing teams, including those in R&D or product development and customer-facing teams, such as those in development, marketing, or sales, doesn't inhibit successful innovation and creativity? Yeah, we are nothing if we're not collaborative, right? Like, and we talked about that before. And good collaboration should never be inhibited. It should only enhance our activities and our initiative. There's always going to be that natural push and pull between all those teams, whether it's product, IT, creative, marketing, sales. But I think the beauty of it is they also bring those diverse opinions to the table. So the key here is make sure that you have the forums for those ideas and discussions to occur together. And for those teams to know they have a voice and that they're being heard. And at the end of the day, I would say that my job as a leader and the leaders within the company, yes, we need to make decisions, but I would say facilitating decisions is equally as important. And that's an area I spend personally a lot of time on is helping to foster and actively participate in that. And the process will only get you so far. You have to nurture it. You have to be okay with pivoting from it, maybe today, maybe for this week. It's all part of that natural ebb and flow. But when it works, it's not just rewarding. It provides all those examples that you listed out there. So it's almost a requirement to figure it out. But it comes from having that environment, setting up that forum. How do you nurture collaboration, cross-functional cooperation in a world where so many of your employees, at least over the course of the last 12 to 16 months, have been working remotely. Has it been more straightforward, more challenging for you? And, and what are some of the things that you can share with our audience that would be helpful, particularly as we think about moving to a more hybrid way of working? Yeah, look, we both have talked about already the diversity of viewpoints, incredibly valuable, but you're correct. They're only valuable if you can harness them and pull them in. One of the things that happened during you know, the pandemic when we, were, we went remote is these toolkits have evolved and so many different technologies that we used, whether it's MS Teams, Slack, Zoom, there are so many better ways now to do real-time idea sharing. And it's morphed from waiting for that, well, we'll just wait for the meeting or let's all wait for the long email memo, right? Like I really hope that those days are behind us. We talk about as a collective wanting to be agile, but these tools really help make that happen. And we saw it, it, it within that first six months, and it's probably even shorter than that. These types of tools are now first and things like email are second and things like meetings are, are, are secondary to that. And I think that's allowed a lot more viewpoints into the conversation. It's allowed a lot more sharing in that conversation. And I know it sounds maybe so simple because you're just talking about technologies there, but when they're applied cor correct, correctly, they're incredibly powerful. And especially AccuWeather, for example, we have offices across the US and actually offices 
in Canada, in Korea, in China, in India. It's an ability now for everybody to be connected and see if they want to in real time what's going on. So Stephen, in the second season of the business and marketing, we're asking each of our C-suite guests to help us define what it means to be a modern and progressive leader in today's social, political, and economic landscape. And it's so interesting because, of course, as you've mentioned, weather touches so much of uh, our lives and it spans the social and political and economic landscape. And so I'm sure you have a really interesting sort of perspective, but help us, yeah, help us understand what it means to you to be a modern and progressive leader. Businesses are a collection of people. People make the magic happen. And we all come to the table with our own social, political, and economic views. And so while AccuWeather has always been committed to an inclusive environment, I, I really just believe it's incumbent on us as leaders to build spaces for these conversations to occur. Um, it, it will promote diversity of opinions, but it also invites questions and ultimately learning. And it's something I'm passionate about. It's something that as executives, we actually hold the ability to create this not run from this. And I can tell you from experience, we've had, we've had a number of, of team members who are actively engaged and they're enthused about the topic and they're continuing to step up with new programs and new ideas. And it furthers the company, it furthers us as better team members, furthers us as better people. So I, in summary, I'd say create the forums and build on this passion and control within the walls of your own company, how you want to treat each other, what you want to learn about each other, and how you create productive discourse for the betterment of each other. So building on this a little bit, obviously the role of the leader has shifted significantly. You know, we all now need to develop new skills that were not even in the C-suite toolkit five, 10 years ago. So what's in your toolkit? What skills have you had to learn over the course of the last like couple of years? Yeah, no, I'm not sure pandemic was a skill in that toolkit either. Back then. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. But it's, I think it's certainly taught all of us a lot about leadership. I'll give you a takeaway from early in my career, and then I'll give you one from within the past year. And so early in my career, I'd say available 15-minute meeting with the CEO or presenting to a C-suite executive was the most important thing on my calendar that week. And now being in the chair and working a schedule that obviously is seemingly packed morning to night, you can get tiresome, you can get lost in that. But I remember how important those 15 minutes were, or finding an open door at the end of the beginning of the day, just to pop in and check in. And now working to give back, always be the greatest gift I think I can give and any of us can give is our time. I mean, being genuine with it likely goes farther for some of your team than any of us individually realize. And I would say within the past year to pivot to that, one of the biggest takeaways was really trying to understand the well-being of your team. You know, we all lived, I lived in a Zoom world for months. My interactions were through these three by five pictures boxes on these screens here. What you could not see is what was going on in the other walls of the building and the lives of that team member. And that really matters. It matters. You can look at it from a pure business metrics perspective, but it also matters in just understanding and learning that this is, it's not about just being transactional in every meeting. You scheduled a time for it, there was a purpose and you sign off after it's accomplished, but instead take the time to check in on your team, on each other, be understanding. Sometimes it's just listening. That's all you have to do, but being available to, to talk. I think that's something that I've taken away. I, I'm not going to say that I perfected it, not by any means. It's a work in progress, but it really was the realization of while we were put into this situation, um, it doesn't mean that we had to assume that these walls and these boxes on the screen were hard. 
Steve, uh, you're an inspiration. You've obviously had an incredible career and clearly you have so much more to contribute when we think about the future. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. We appreciate your insights and wish you the very best in the coming year. Thank you, Toby. Very much appreciate it. Thanks for listening to The Business of Marketing, brought to you by Adweek and presented in partnership with SAP. The Business of Marketing is produced by Al Manorino. The executive producer is Brian Leddy. Support also provided by Erica Perry and Julian Gamboa. Please take a minute to subscribe and review our show. Your feedback means the world to us. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu dot com code GLOW.